Uh, morning, everybody. Um, um, Joy is going to read a Bible story for us. Good morning, everyone. So our Bible reading is taken from Luke 23, from verses 32 to 46. Two other criminals were taken away with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there with the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Father, said Jesus, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. They divided his clothes, casting lots for them. The people stood around watching. The rulers hurled abuses at him. He rescued others, they said. Let him try rescuing himself. If he's really the Messiah, God's chosen one. The soldiers added their taunts, coming up and offering him cheap wine. If you're the king of Jews, they said, rescue yourself. The charge was written above him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the bad characters who was hanging there began to insult him. Aren't you the Messiah? He said, rescue yourself and us too. But the other one told him off. Don't you fear God? He said, you're sharing the same faith that he is. In our case, it's fair enough that we are getting exactly what we asked for. But this fellow hasn't done anything out of order. Jesus went on, remember me when you finally become king. I'm telling you the truth, replied Jesus. You'll be with me in paradise this very day. By the time of the sixth hour, darkness came over all the land. The sunlight vanished until the ninth hour. Then Jesus shouted out at the top of his voice, Here's my spirit, Father. You can take care of it now. And with that, he died. This is the end of our reading. Thank you. Thanks very much, John. Thank you. So, uh, as you heard, I'm Ian, and uh, with Julia, we've been part of this church for quite some years. Um, uh, that's in case you don't know me. Uh, Mark, Aaron's dad, he does know me, and uh, if it's a bad talk, he's promised to boo and throw things. <laughs> so, nobody else needs to take that responsibility, okay? Mark's got that covered. Uh, if there's anything good about this talk, can I just mention that Julia's been very, very supportive as I've been preparing. Um, uh, this is the time of year when we make sure to remember the death of Jesus. Now, um, I'm sure historians would all agree nowadays that there was a character called Jesus of Nazareth. And I don't think there's much debate, but that Jesus of Nazareth was crucified. It was kind of the obvious thing that the authorities would do with someone like him. So the bare bones of what we've just read are certainly good history. Um, and uh, those, uh, that uh, particular um, account was uh, put together by someone. may have been someone called Luke. We, we can't be totally sure who actually assembled those facts. But we do know that whoever it was was a good historian, um, a particularly good one. He, uh, he, across his writings, 
where we keep finding little details that will be very difficult to fabricate um, that the archaeologists can check on and he gets them right. So we're looking at something that basically happened, folks. And our job is to work out why it happened. What could it mean? What could it all be about? Now, Jesus' friends and followers, they worked out what it meant by living through it. They had to go through this step by step. And that's how the meaning emerged. And I think they went through about four steps. Step one, rising hopes. Step two, crushed hopes. Step three, resurrection. He's alive. And step four, where the rubber hits the road, as it were, deep forgiveness. So, step one, rising hopes. They follow Jesus around for, looks like about three years, possibly. It's quite hard to interpret exactly the sequence of events. Um, uh, but they followed Jesus around for quite a while. Um, and they saw so many amazing things that he said and did that they started saying things like this. When the Messiah comes, will he do more signs than this man? So, the word Messiah is absolutely full of meaning. Uh, we have not got time to explain all the meaning of the word Messiah. But let's just say that some people wondered if God would one day send a definitive messenger. A prophet, a messenger who would make sense of the whole history and the whole place of God in the world. And that would, they, they, they called that conjectured person, they called that the Messiah. And can you see what they're saying with their rhetorical question there? When the Messiah comes, what more can we be waiting for? This must be it, they're saying. Their hopes are soaring. Step two, those hopes were crushed, decisively crushed. Um, did you notice, uh, as Joy read, um, that uh, many people were saying to Jesus, basically, you can't be the Messiah or you wouldn't be in this mess. Okay? The, the rulers were saying it, the soldiers were saying it, and one of his fellow sufferers was saying it. And that was accepted. It was a known process, a known experience. Um, there were quite a few people around that time who stuck their heads up and said, I'm the Messiah, follow me. And they were killed by the authorities. And their followers slunk back to normal life as best they could hoping that nobody looked for them too hard. That was a well-known process. Uh, there were two, it seems, who were particularly well-known. Um, one called Simon of Perea, and another one called, wait for it, Athronges the Shepherd. 
Eowyn's a nice name, isn't it? <laughs> so is Aisha. Any parents looking for a distinctive name for, for a, a coming baby? They'd be the only Athrongis in the playground. <laughs> All I'm saying. And that's exactly what happened to them. They, they claimed to be some sort of special prophetic messenger. And they were killed, both of them, about the time Jesus was born. Um, and their followers dispersed furtively. That's exactly what Jesus' followers and friends were looking at, beginning to look at, as Jesus was dying. It's all over. Can we salvage our lives? Will anybody come after us? That's what they were looking at. And if nothing else had happened, this story would be a really obscure footnote in history. The same people would have heard of Jesus who have heard of Athrongis. What did happen was step three. They met him. They'd watched him die. Well, the bravest ones had watched him die. In fact, it was mainly the women who watched him die. Respect. They told the whole group about it. And then three days later or so, they met him. They talked to him, touched him, ate with him. And they spent the rest of their lives saying, we know it's impossible, but we saw this. And they said that under persecution at times, under threat of death, as they went to be martyred. We know it's impossible, but we saw it. They knew it was impossible. You don't have to be modern and scientific to know that dead men don't get up. Um, but they saw it. It happened. So they had to have then a big rethink. And I, I think it might have been the biggest rethink in history. Um, because they knew that Jesus was the Messiah, the definitive special messenger, because he had been resurrected. That's that put the seal on it. But he'd also been tortured to death horribly. What could that mean? What, what would that be all about? The Messiah crucified. And they searched the ancient prophecies um, and rethought. Um, and the first thing uh, that they did was they stopped blaming the others. Um, you see, if you'd asked a Jew just before Jesus what was wrong with the world, they would have said, it's those people who worship statues. There was some justification for taking that attitude. Um, in ancient times, worshipping statues could sometimes be very, very degraded. And they, they would obviously um, get completely and utterly drunk worshipping the god of wine sometimes. Just worshipping my god, officer. And let, but let's be frank, 
there were such things as temple prostitutes. Victims in ancient paganism. So there was some justification for the Jewish attitude. Um, but really, when it comes down to it, it was the age-old human sport of blaming somebody else. I'm a good person. God's problem is those other people. I'm really good at that sport. Problem is always, well, when I was in working life, the problem was always the management. <laughs> or it's always the politicians, or the Brexiteers, or the Remainers, or whoever it is, or the multinational corporations. Don't you hate them? Or those loathsome dictators. They're good because they really are loathsome. But Jesus' followers turned that on its head and they were soon saying things like this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. This is good Jews saying this. Not just the pagans. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are part of the problem. And there was a chap called Paul, uh, who was a very early Christian leader, and he wrote chunks of the New Testament. And he, he once said, Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I'm the worst of them, he said. Can you see? I mean, that's a rhetorical flourish, I'm the worst of them. But he is saying, I am a sinner. That's an amazing thing for a really pious Jew to say around the year 55. He says somewhere else, I kept all the rules. He'd never been near a pagan temple. Never looked at a, at a temple prostitute. That sort of thing was anathema. And he still says, I'm among the sinners. I'm part of God's problem. I'm not a good person, not totally. What they discovered was that there is a corner of the human heart, every human heart, that is selfish, self-centered, self-willed, self-driven, and just bad. Somebody um, accused me not long ago of having mixed motives when I show kindness. Well, that's just true. <laughs> when I show kindness, it's partly because I care about the other person and partly because I want to feel good about myself. I can't get past that. And if you're looking for somebody to show love to you with unmixed motives... Keep looking till you find Jesus. The only person ever with unmixed motives for showing love. And that's just a tame example from my life. I'm not telling you about all the badness in my life. I'm serious, I'm not. Quite frankly, I don't have the courage. How's your life? 
And what they realized was that Jesus' death was a sacrifice, and the sacrifice of the Messiah opened the way for God to forgive any human heart. That's the most important thing I'm going to say. The sacrifice of the Messiah opened the way for God to forgive any human heart. I don't know if I could explain how that works for God. I mean, libraries have been written about the doctrine of the atonement. Um, but the bottom line is clear. This sacrifice made forgiveness possible. So there's the takeaway if you follow Jesus. The forgiveness was settled long ago. This is the lesson that I have to learn, I don't know, every week or something. The forgiveness was settled long ago. I don't try to live a bit better and hope for more forgiveness. I bask in the forgiveness that's already there. And from there, I can possibly live a bit better life. It starts with forgiveness. And what Luke, um, if it was Luke, um, saw was that there's a demonstration here of the human heart. Um, I don't think I'm being too irreverent about this, but with those two fellow sufferers of Jesus who were executed with him, there's a demonstration of how the human heart works. And it's a bit like, I hope this isn't too trite, but it's a bit like um, the science teacher demonstrating on the front bench of a science lab. You pour this acid onto this powder, and look what happens. And what's happening here is you confront the human heart with the death of Jesus and look what happens. One man carried on on his own course. It was his life and he was looking for other people to blame. As Jesus was handy, he blamed Jesus. You're the Messiah, rescue us. And he went to meet his maker in that attitude. It's my life and other people are to blame. A chilling choice to make. The other man admitted guilt. He said, look, we deserve punishment, we're criminals. And he asked for forgiveness. He said, Jesus, remember me. And Jesus said, you will be with me in paradise. Let's be completely clear. In the original language, Jesus was talking to one person when he said that. Several of the words would just be different if he was talking to both his fellow sufferers. 
So that's the challenge that uh, the death of Jesus sets every Easter. And in fact, all the time. Which am I? Which are you? Am I going to carry on? It's my life. I'm all right. It's other people that are the problem. Or am I going to put that baggage down? It's a strain keeping up that attitude. It's baggage. Am I going to say, no, there's badness in me. I need forgiveness. And start dealing with God and asking for that forgiveness. Forgiveness.